0: Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popovich Carmeli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770.
1: Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmeli, my co-host here Dave Popovich. We're getting closer to yep. this election. Yeah. Did you did you happen to watch the uh, the debate?
0: Well, I saw the highlights of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. No.
1: What what I found very interesting in that debate, um, first of all, kudos to it being somewhat controlled so there wasn't a lot of fighting. That's right. Um, second part to that is the only political issue they brought up for people who are transitioning to living in retirement was long-term care. Right. Um, yes, there are concerns of this demographic with their children, so I get that, but how do you improve health care, mental health care? How do you mitigate the tax issues that are coming in the future? Like, all these issues were not discussed, so it's not an election topic, which surprises me. Right. Which surprises me. So, uh, I think, uh, given given that headline of, you know, what these politicians are talking about, what I got out of it was uncertainty.
0: Well, yeah, it's it's an interesting word you use, because, I mean, this is topical, and it is top of mind for most people, but listen, there's a ton of other uncertainty, right? It's not just around what tax laws might look like, and our political future might look like, but we're moving into September, Oh yeah. Right. So September, from a market perspective, historically, if you look at the data, is often the toughest, uh, the toughest market yep. conditions. Right. Yep. You got uncertainty there. You've just got transitioning, just a general transition into retirement. That's scary
1: in and of itself. Right. There's just a whole bunch of things going on. Let me add one more to the uncertainty list that you, <laughs> you're building here. Um, the Bank of Canada this week, oh yeah. came out and said, um, you know this this tapering of bonds. Uh, we're going to change the program a bit. So here's what started it off, just for those to kind of catch up to what we're kind of discussing here. The Bank of Canada, along with other central bankers, basically stimulated the economy in two ways. One, they were purchasing bonds in the bond market mm-hmm. so they can release more capital cash in the in the economy so it becomes more liquid fluid faster and the, and, the pl- j- and keep rates down and they can that have was a second thing. Yeah. that was a second yeah. thing. they really lowered interest yeah. rates so what they can do is lower short-term interest yeah. rates play with the bond market right. give more stimulus or, or a boost to the economy now for a while now we've been saying and we've been hearing from experts on this show that the tapering that they're gonna do will lead to higher interest rates. They will raise interest rates after they taper. Right. The Bank of Canada said, ha put this one on the Dave Popovich uncertainty list. <laughs> we are going to raise interest rates before we taper. Right. Well that kind of just surprised a bunch right. of people, me included. Right. Which tells me they're not going to give us much warning of what's going to happen. Yeah.
0: And are they going to lead the U.S. Federal Reserve on this? And by how much? Right what effect will that have on the
1: currency markets, right? So think of currency impact, think of fixed income impact, think of equities impact, think of real estate impact, think of the economy um, and people who are borrowing money. Mm -hmm. Like these are all impacts or uncertainties. And this is where I think having a proper strategy in place that look at those risks and have plans for those risks.
0: Well, the other thing, Fizzle, is it's dynamic too, right? So... So uh, these uncertainties could be different uncertainties a month from now, right? So so maybe the Bank of Canada changes its language again. Who knows? But the point is that that there's ranges that we have to like. You have to. We always talk about best case, uh, worst case, and base case scenarios that you've got to continue to have in order to be able to navigate this. You things change too much, right? It's too dynamic and fluid a situation to think that as of today. We know the playbook. As of today, we have a base case, right? And then we understand that there is uncertainty that can be introduced, not just at a macro level, but on a a personal level for people as well. And you've got to be, the strategy has to be fluid enough to be able to adapt to those things.
1: Yeah. And I think, well, one of the the listeners of this show called me up this week and was saying, you know, you guys talk about these investment pillars, these Mm -hmm. five pillars you have. Faisal, I'm, I'm all in the stock market. Right. There's no need to have bonds. There's no need to have right. alternatives. I'm all in the stock market. I'm doing very well. Have been for a while now. Yep. And I go, what if something goes wrong? <laughs> and he literally froze. He didn't have an answer of what he would do mm-hmm. in the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. If things get better than they are right now, his his portfolio is going to do well. Yep. And if he's if it's doing what it's doing now, it's doing pretty good. Right. But what if something goes wrong? And he didn't have a response for. That. I go, "So let's let's think of some of the risks that are out there." So this whole Delta variant, COVID, vaccination issue. Could that cause a problem to your portfolio?" He's like, "Yeah." "What about taxes and the new political agenda that's going around globally?" Yep.
0: Interest rates going up.
1: "What other things are you thinking about that's happening?" I go, "What's your plan?" Right. And he looked at me and said, "I just hope it doesn't happen."
0: Yeah. Hope's not a strategy. We've discussed that.
1: Right. And so this is when people look at a portfolio and say, well, why do we have those terrible bonds that aren't making any money? Or why do you have in our portfolio an alternative investment that's designed to protect against inflation? It's not making any money right now. The market's making money. Put your money there. Equities, yeah. It's the what if. It's the uncertainty. So the, the more you see the economy growing faster and faster, you can definitely put... More money in equities. But you have to be humble enough to know that things could go wrong. And how do you protect the downside?
0: Yeah, and so I don't even object to the idea that he's all equity. I what what the, the problem, the concern when I when I heard about that conversation was that there is no answer to what if. What if something happens, Correct. right? Listen, you can be all equities if you're whatever, if you if that's what you want to do, but you've got to understand what you're gonna do if equities decide to tumble because you know, we get a taper tantrum again and they fall by twenty or thirty percent like the fourth quarter of twenty eighteen. When it happens people like that. Don't,
1: Dave, when people don't have an understanding of the worst case scenario right. or their understanding of what the risks are out there, right. then you can't predict what the downside risk to your your money is. Right. And then that's the shock. Right. And so we we talk about this, you and I, and you call me the,
0: the chicken on the team and uh, it's true, because I'm just older and more beat up than you are, and you're a lot prettier than I am, and all those things, all those reasons why I'm a chicken. But the fact of the matter is, if you look at how uh, institutional money is run, big money, pensions, those kinds of things, those organizations work to a risk level. They decide collectively on what level of risk they're prepared to take first. First. They design, then, the the the, um, the portfolio around that risk level, and they look for ways to best maximize return, given the risk they're prepared to take on right Um, now again i don't begrudge anybody that says i'm a hundred percent equity person okay what risk level within equities there's lots of different kinds of equities right so we always forget about the risk side right particularly when things are good yeah and that's why we always say huh are you being set up right now for some pain in the future because things don't always just go up right they do fluctuate
1: and this is where i'll always say when things are volatile, losing less is actually making more. You protect your downside, right? And we're <clears> going to <throat> discuss that um, at our upcoming seminar. Yeah. At this seminar will be the first one after the election. Mm-hmm. So we're definitely going to talk about that impact. We're going to talk about the impact of volatility and the concerns that we have going forward. It's not all rosy and pretty looking forward. That's right. There are risks that you need to account for, put a probability of it happening on the table, and then have a strategy to address those risks so you can lose less, that means you're going to make more over time.
0: Right. Um, Faisal, we've got, uh, we talk about this often in our practice, but there's lots of instances where uh, people have perhaps um, gone through a divorce or separation or even a death of a spouse and uh, they meet somebody new, right? And they uh, they want to bring their families together in different capacities. Some is marriage, some is cohabitation, but it, it introduces some complexity. Um, from a family planning perspective.
1: Yeah, paint the picture of, of this, like uh, let's, let's, let's you're, you're, say you're going down uh, into your life, you've accumulated a whole bunch of wealth, yeah. whatever that dollar amount is, you may have children from a previous marriage and you meet that special person, you wanna merge your lives together, yeah. So now what do you do? Right. Like what's the what's step? Now, the, the two of us get together whenever we talk to clients or people off on the show, we're like, make sure you get the legal advice on what you need to protect right. yourself and your wealth and what your, your viewpoints are. Yep. We've brought in lawyers in here before talking about in the event of death and you have, a, you have a blended family, what do you need to do? But let's talk about before you get married or before you decide right. to move and, be, and cohabitate. So we have Marcus Sixta, founder and senior legal coach at uh, Cross, Crossroads Law. Marcus, welcome back again.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. So you
1: heard the tee-up that I kind of gave you in regards to what the concerns are from many of our viewers and listeners of the show. Uh, They're going to be entering in or they've already entered into relationships. Uh, They are concerned that they've accumulated a bunch of wealth. And in the event of a breakdown of the relationship... Do I lose half? Do I have to you know, provide support? All these concerns. And Alberta law is a very unique law when we look at these types of issues. And so we'd love to go have your, your viewpoints. Let's start off, when it comes to the general overview of prenups, cohabitation agreements, how do they work in Alberta?
2: Well, um, prenups, cohabitation agreements, marriage agreements, uh, they're called a lot of different things. So let's just clarify what the terms are before we dive into it. So a prenuptial agreement is a term that's used for an agreement that is signed in anticipation of marriage. A cohabitation agreement can also be an agreement that's signed in anticipation of marriage, but typically that's an agreement that's signed between spouses who are common-law spouses okay and maybe not going to get married and then a marriage agreement is an agreement that's done after the parties are married and it's an agreement to sort out the financial planning maybe in the event of a separation or even you know what the roles financially may be uh, during the marriage that happens too sometimes so those are the terms we're dealing with now in Alberta we have laws here that as you know if you're married All of the assets you accumulate during your relationship, if you separate, are gonna be divided 50-50. Starting January 1st, 2020, the law was expanded to include common law couples as well. And so there are a lot of Albertans out there who are in a situation where they may be coming up on that common law couple status now, and they don't even know that at that point, The assets that they've accumulated in that relationship are going to be divided 50-50 in the event of a separation. So we have the ability to draft up these types of agreements so that people can come to an agreement with respect to how these assets are going to be divided in a fair way after separation and so that there's less surprises, less uncertainty, and ultimately less legal fees in the event of separation as well because you already know what you're going to do.
0: Okay. And Marcus, just to be clear, those changes in January 2020, um, what they did is expand the the rights of a common law partner, correct? And dower rights, so property rights and so on and so forth. There could be some big surprises for people there, correct?
2: Correct. So if you are in a relationship with somebody, um, and in Alberta, it's, it's a little confusing because we have We call it common-law couples, right? Common-law spouses. But the the term common-law spouses really isn't out there in our laws. Um, This all falls under the Adult Interdependent Relationship Act and people who reside together in a relationship of interdependence for three years become adult interdependent partners and adult interdependent partners then have these property rights against the properties that were accumulated or the assets that were accumulated during that relationship in the event of a separation. So after that three year mark, then boom, it's the same, essentially the same rules as a marriage. And it's a system where you have to opt out, you're not opting in. And a lot of people don't understand that.
1: So this is where I think mm-hmm. the confusion comes into play. Mm-hmm. So Marcus, there are there are people that are gonna be either surprised with this ruling or this law, There are people who have thought about this and say, okay, we're going to mark a line in the sand and we're going to say, okay, as of let's pick a date today, Uh, going forward, we are now officially married or uh, common law spouses. So from this day forward, whatever we have, if we have a breakdown in our relationship, it's 50-50 of the growth of the assets. But what about when it comes to real estate matrimonial property, a home, whatever it may be if one is moving into someone else's home so let's say you know a male male client of ours wants to move in with his new significant other it's her home initially she he puts her on she puts him on title. they now are uh, uh, they're now are looking at these issues but in the cohabitation agreement or prenuptial agreement, they've said, the first x dollars because you have put this in sweetheart is yours if anything breaks down then it's 50 50 from the growth of that how does the law look at those types of issues that we literally put somebody on title and from my understanding of it is it's now co-mingled asset you're now are in a in a 50 50 ownership of that property but how does the prenup or cohab in those types of assets how do you cause it's hard to calculate those yeah, things yeah. you know
2: well, you're right. So, I- if you're entering into a relationship where there are assets that are already held by the, each person, those assets are, even if you don't have any agreement in place, they are protected. All right. Because any assets that you have at the date that you started this relationship, um, those are not divisible in the event of separation. But what is divisible is the increase in value of those assets. Now, that scenario that you just posed uh, posed there is somebody puts their partner's name on title of an asset that would otherwise be exempt. If that happens, it's not 50-50. It's actually you're giving that person 25% of that asset. Uh, It's a little bit confusing, but the law is that when you look at how that's divided, if you put that person's name on the property, you're essentially giving half of the property to the relationship and you are keeping half, and then that half of the relationship in the event of separation gets divided 50-50, so ultimately it's 25%, all right? Now with an agreement, you can actually sort out how all of these assets are divided in advance. Um, You can say that that particular property, even though I put your name on title, it's always going to be mine, any increase in value of it is always going to be mine, Um, so you can protect it that way. Um, as long as the agreement is done in the right way.
1: Okay, so that's what we want to talk about: is what's the right way? How mm-hmm. do we? Let's talk about that situation before we head to commercial break. We got about a minute left, Marcus. So let's give our our listeners and viewers the tips on what has to be done to be to make it the right way.
2: Well, first of all, the very most important thing is each person needs to have independent legal advice. And that means they need to have a lawyer from different firms who review this agreement, give them advice and tell them what's in it. The reason you need that independent legal advice is twofold. One, it's in our legislation and two, it's because without that, you're at risk of an agreement being unfair because your spouse, in the event of separation, could say, I didn't understand. I don't know what this all means. I was just signing it. Or they could say I was you know, pressured Etc. but if you have a lawyer there for both parties it takes away those concerns and an agreement is signed um, in a way that the courts would find to be fair and it's way more challenging to attack an agreement where you have lawyers giving independent legal advice to both parties so that would be the number one point
1: what other pieces of advice would you give uh, for people who are going to be entering into relationships that need to be aware when it comes to these types of documents
2: sure so get it done early Start the planning early on in the relationship, or at least start the discussion, because, like any agreement, you need to have two people sign off on it. And I can tell you, I've had cases where you have people that have been together for two and a half years, and then all of a sudden somebody thrusts an agreement in front of someone, and it's not pretty, right? The, you get a lot of emotion that may come up. You know, I didn't expect this. What is this? What do you mean? I have to sign this now? And that turmoil can create a lot of difficulty in terms of negotiating an agreement like this right so if you get it done early in terms of setting the expectations right at the outset and being very open and honest with your partner about what you know each of you would like to do in the event of separation that really helps because otherwise you may not get an agreement done and then you're faced with the situation which i've seen before where people are coming Mm -hmm. up on that three-year mark and they're going you know, my partner won't sign this agreement. What do I do? Do I have to separate? Right? So that's another key point is start the discussion really early in the relationship um, so that there's no surprises down the road. Marcus, another the, key aspect.
1: Sorry, Marcus. One of the key problems that I see with people getting together in relationships is full disclosure of what you actually own, transparency right. of assets and so forth. This might be your next point. How, well, how does that process work? I think you need to be putting all your cards on the table and show everything so there's no misunderstandings or so forth. I'm just in that viewpoint. Marcus, what's, what, what are your thoughts in regards to that? And then how do you prepare for that yeah. transparency conversation?
2: Well, you'd be a wise judge because that's exactly what the Supreme Court of Canada says. <laughs> All right, so this matter came before the Supreme Court of Canada before, and the Supreme Court said you need to have that full disclosure happening. If there's not full disclosure, that can create unfairness. Because one person can say, I didn't know what I was signing. I really didn't have any idea that, for example, he was worth $20 million. You know, I thought maybe he was worth a couple million. If I knew he was worth 20 million, this agreement either wouldn't have been signed or I would have negotiated more in the agreement itself. And so you do have to disclose your assets. Now, how far does that disclosure go and what is the process? Really, again, this goes back to coming to an agreement that both parties are willing to sign. Most of the time um, in these agreements, what we do is we attach a schedule at the end of the agreement that outlines the assets and debts of both parties. All right. And we include the bank account information. We include the, like all the businesses. We include all of that information. So everybody sees it. And then we have a value as well. And then everybody knows what's on the table. Um, you can go further than that, though. Sometimes in agreements, especially where there's a lot of assets or there may be uh, businesses involved, one person may say, well, I don't really understand that, and I don't really see how that business could be valued at that amount, and in that case, we may bring in an evaluator to take a look at the business. Um, We may actually um, provide more documentation, physical documents to a person uh, so that they can review everything before they sign it. I mean, Bottom line, um, that's what needs to happen. You need to have an agreement that each person is willing to sign, and we know that you need to provide that disclosure.
0: And Marcus, just to take that a step further, because the the point of contention I often see or hear is one uh, or the other party, let's just pick a business because that could be a significant asset that they have built prior to the relationship. To what extent does Alberta Law permit you in that agreement to exempt certain assets to say you have no claim against whatever it is, XYZ asset, even though you provided full disclosure and all of those things, or does the law have a mechanism to do that?
2: Well, if you uh, if you put it in an agreement, um, the law says that you can separate something out. All right, uh, the court will enforce agreements on property where someone where, where the parties are agreeing that this business may be totally exempt. That's that's fine. You can do that. Um, but again, there needs to be full disclosure. There needs to be independent legal advice in order for you to do that. And of course, there can't be any oppression or pressure. Um, there can't be any coercion, there can't be any abuse. If any of that is happening, then it can be unconscionable because that person may not be signing that under their own free will. But you can, okay, that that's interesting to know. That's often a point of confusion for people.
1: One of the questions I've received from one of our clients is that their children, they're adults, yep. uh, they're going into a second relationship. Right. So their, their child is going to a second marriage they're bringing in children into that new relationship from a previous marriage and the concerns are on the future growth in the event and all on the assets how do you figure out not only from a a a relationship perspective but from an estate planning perspective how do you protect both this is where the question comes into marcus is that some people believe that the estate law is in sometimes opposite or in in disagreement with family law yeah and because in our understanding is that a state law is if you have a mar- married spouse, you're supposed to treat that person the same and, in divorce or in matrimonial breakdown as in, in death. That's the understand that we have. Kind of give us some insight on those types of blended family where it's be one-sided, one person has minor children, or both have minor children. They want to provide for them in the event of a breakdown. Can you put those types of things in a prenup or is it completely a different a different ballgame when it comes to uh, estate law and family law being combined at the same time?
2: Well, certainly you can, uh, with respect to prenuptial agreements, you can have, and I'll just focus on the children part because that is something that comes up a lot. So there are some pitfalls there because in these prenuptial agreements, you cannot put any provisions in there with respect to children, except for maybe one. And so you can't say... Um, child support is going to be set at X amount in the event of separation. You can't do that because child support is the right of the child. It's always reviewable. The court will not enforce an award or a, um, uh, an agreement that limits child support. Okay, So the child always has a right to that child support. And two, The parenting, like sometimes you see agreements where people want to say, okay, in the event of separation, you know, we're going to restrict the access to the children. You can't even do that, even in a blended family, because um, again, parenting is based on the best interest of the child and the best interest can shift and change over time. And what may be in the best interest at the start of a relationship may be totally different 10 years or 15 years down the road. And so, you know, these agreements, they can't, they can't, Take those aspects and lock them in. Those aspects are always liquid, and if you're in a situation where you've got a blended family, you may have each person becoming a step parent. And as a step parent, that person may have some rights in terms of child support, and may also have some rights in terms of access to the child. Um, so that's something you need to watch out for. Now that's the part where I said maybe one maybe there's one piece that you can actually include and that is where you say in the event of separation neither one of us is going to be considered to be a step parent right, and you put that in there in order to limit the liability around the child support because if you're not a step parent there's no claim but if you're a step parent you can actually actually be liable for child support in the event of a separation in a blended family. Um, so that is a tricky issue. Um, quite often it's something that's reviewable, um, and quite often it's something that's not upheld uh, in terms of that provision in these agreements, because the court is able to look past that and say, well, what really happened during this relationship? Did they indeed proceed in that way where neither person was going to be a step-parent? Or did that person provide discipline, guidance to the child? Did the child call that person mom or dad? You know, were they in fact acting as a step-parent? And if so, it's likely they're going to be found to be a step-parent. And if that's the case, then there could be a child support liability. But child support always should be claimed against the biological parent first before going to the step-parent. Okay, if there, uh, that's a, a
0: solid 20 minutes of there is complexity and so Marcus thank you for that and um, I think that it is apparent that if you're getting into a blended situation that you should be upfront and honest about these conversations and engage them early because you want to make sure that the family, everybody is protected in the event of a separation. The easiest time to do this is right upfront when everybody's happy and you can have these conversations. So Marcus we want to thank you very much for your input Uh, If anybody needs to reach out to you uh, that sees this, has has some complexity, has some concerns, how can they reach you?
2: Well, you can contact us at crossroadslaw.ca, and you can also contact us at coachmycase.ca for legal coaching.
0: Fantastic. And as always, you can reach out to Faisal or myself, and we can get you in in touch with Marcus uh, as need be. You've had some interesting, well, we both had interesting conversations this week. We're kind of around the topic of um, family planning and estate planning and Legacy planning, as we call it, the health legacy pocket health. As yeah. you
1: age. Yeah. Um, you have a bigger fear of aging than I do. That's because I'm older than you. Uh, well, Okay. <laughs> I think even if we look back 10 years ago, you still had a bigger fear of I aging. Because I was still older than you 10 years oh, okay. ago. Okay. okay. <laughs> so just because of the difference in age. Okay, got it. Um, and, and when I when I listen to your concerns that when we have our chats yep. about our personal lives, um one thing that comes up i don't think you say it directly but you're you're concerned about what your kids are going to experience in the event there's a health issue with you or if you pass away yeah so you you talked about before the break about a burden right um what are what are some of the concerns you have about that word burden when it comes to your children
0: yeah good question so they're broad and they're numerous um and it's about the, you know, you think about if anything were to happen to me. What what I think about is that what I went through with my parents, mm-hmm. and um, what was required to get through that. But it's what's required to get through that phase at the time when you're under pressure and stress because something good has not happened. Yeah. Right. And so this notion of a burden for me is really around. Taking care of the business around the potential health issues that you might face and what what care and support you might have. Um, again, i can I can point to a personal example where I watched uh, some of my cousins go through a very, very slow, long aging process with my uncle. and it was it was entirely disruptive to the family's life. So at the time that my cousins were trying to raise children, mm-hmm. okay, and those children had needs, and they, as a couple had needs, it was a disproportionate amount of time spent taking care of their aging father. And I don't want that for my kids,
1: right? So that's a similar tone that I had the entire week with clients yep. when I'm talking about their health and legacy, and legacy. buckets. Yeah. I don't want to be a burden on my children right. from one experience of what they experienced with their parents. Right. Okay, so our clients' parents. Um, and what they're seeing out there right now because of this pandemic. Yeah long-term care facilities, home care, um, all the issues that come up. Now, the, 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 the topic that we ta- discussed on this so far has been the conversation of burden. And most people think about burden from a financial perspective. Right. right? I want to leave enough money or I want to have enough for long-term care so I'm not a burden on my family so right. that they have to pay out of pocket or feel that they need to pay out of pocket. I understand that. But there are other burdens. Yep. Let me give you some ideas of what came up in my conversations. Um, Faisal, should I, should, should I um, get cremated or buried? Right. Oh, oh, what? Yeah. Okay. I'm not the one to answer that question. That's right. a family conversation. Yes. That's on your beliefs and views. Where should I get buried? Mm-hmm. If you're going to be buried. Right. If you're going to be buried. Right. Even if you're going to be cremated, where am I going to put the, right. uh, the, the plaque? Yep. Or do you have a plaque? Right, so that's and I don't want that to be a bunch of conversation amongst my children and they're debating and arguing right. on that. Okay, so that's a burden in that sense. Right. What about the burden when it comes to understanding where everything is? I'll tell you if I walked into my dad's house, God forbid something happened to him where he 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 can't take care of himself mm-hmm. or he passed away. And I have to go through his filing process. <laughs> now, Papa Kermali... <Carmally, laughs> is one of the most <laughs> anal men I know when it comes to his filing process. He's got R- files amongst files going back to probably 1975. Yep. For me to go through all that stuff to find what we need would be a challenging task. Yeah. So because he's my dad and I can tell him this, I can say, Dad, these are the things I need you in, the, in one location so it's easy for me to grab and everything else will sort out later. Where do you put all this stuff? We're talking will, power of attorney, personal directive, um, title to the property, passwords to everything online. Yeah. Like can you imagine having that burden on your ch- child to figure out what your passwords are to your any they, of your accounts? They won't find it. Right? You
0: won't get it and you'll lose things. And that could be pictures and valuable stuff like that, right? Sentimental stuff. Again, went through this with my with when my dad passed, right? It was difficult to do uh, all of those things. And again, you're under you're in you're in a stressful situation. You just lost a parent. Yeah. Right? So the devils are the details. The devil, you, you and I know this, right? And it's, it's the if you don't want to be a burden, let's take financial out because um, a lot of the burden comes from exactly what you're discussing, right? It's how how do I how do I gather all this information just to get through all of that? I, I had I had three different legacy meetings this this past week, and we were talking about similar things, and we were talking about. Um, we didn't use the, the, the word, the burden, right? But all of the detail was about making sure that there's a family conversation been had mm-hmm. and it's properly documented. It doesn't even have to be specific to uh, handcuffing them in a will or power of attorney or personal directive, but it's, it's a memorandum of understanding. Yeah. Leaving notes, yeah. right? Having the conversations in advance. And you and I, you, we can tell you story after story, I think, about instances where you have families that have a, a dynamic that's, a, that's open, where you can have conversations in your lifetime about what you'd like to see happen.
1: Here's what I find um, challenging. For anybody who's going through this from a planning, being proactive, Yes. where do you go? Right. You do your legal documents with the lawyer. Right. You do your tax documents and your tax situation with your accountant. You then talk to your financial guy or gal, and and they'll give you the the financial side of it. But what about all these little things that we say are important to prevent the burden? Right. Who do you go to? Right. Who's, your, who's your quarterback?
0: Right. And it takes time. So, so you, you'll remember this situation. We got together. Um, I offered to lead a, a family planning session for a farm family. Yep. And there were uh, one, two, uh, three generations involved in that. Uh, and only, only one of the family members was going to be involved in the farm. This is a complex situation. We, uh, we just probably wrapped up on that two years later. Look at that. A number of conversations, right? And now that's just grandparents. There's still now the uh, grandson who's going to be taking over. What are they going to be doing so that we don't end up in this kind of a situation again, right? So it's actually complex, but it's a heck
1: of a lot easier to have those conversations up front. Right. Or well-documented so that literally anybody can pull it out and go, ah, this is what I have to do. Right. You may not be comfortable telling your adult children your situation today, Correct. for whatever reason it right. may be. But then <clears throat> the what if could happen. How do you prepare for that? Document it. Keep it in a safe place. Let people know where that yep. is. So little things like that. Even as you age, what are the things you're thinking about? Right. Is this your home you're going to stay in for the rest of that? Is that a, a guaranteed decision? Yep. As you age, okay, you don't understand this, but us short people... Have a tough time because we're shrinking when we're already short as we age. So thinking about, hang on, how does my kitchen look? Well, I have to lower the cabinets, right? Right. What about the, 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 the retrofitting of your home? That's right. Think about those things. It's not only a financial conversation, it's a change, right? And t- do it over time. Like, nobody wants to sit. T- you can't do it in one
0: meeting. Right? <laughs> yeah. You can't have a This is a conversation that it's a process, right? Correct. And, and it's, so if you don't want to be a burden, there's lots of things you can do. There's lots of details that you can put in place, take care of, and communicate to the right people, right? And it doesn't have to be all the details if you're uncomfortable sharing financial details with a family. But, but directionally, you can tell people what your wishes are, yeah. and that reduces the stress. It reduces the stress when you're in a hospital bed and somebody has to make a decision on your behalf about what Faisal would want. Correct. Right? Um, and so that, that that's the message today, I think, is...
1: Yeah, how do you prevent from being a burden? It's first of uh, transparency yeah. with, with your, your beneficiaries. Right. If you're not comfortable giving that information up front, it's documentation. Right. I say do both. Do both. Only if you can. Yep. Right. The least thing that you could do is document, document, document. That's right. Keep all those documents in line. Have it put in a safe place. Make sure that whoever's the beneficiary or executor or agent for your power of attorney and personal directive has access to that place. Yep. You know how many people have safe deposit boxes yep. that don't have their, their agent or executor available to use that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know how hard it is to get in a safety deposit box if you don't own it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you can't prove you're that, or you're the executor, yeah. And the proof is in the safety deposit box. And you know how hard it is to to prove that you're an executor in a in a safety deposit box during a pandemic when the branch is closed, right? Like these things, we have to think about. That's right. And that's the part of the planning that we want to go. And so, planning yeah. is important. Planning, yep. structure, discipline, and the approach to bulletproof your retirement. This is one topic is the burden. The other one is how do you get your financial house in order as you transition to retirement, so you can bulletproof that, confirm that lifestyle, live the life you want. We're gonna talk about that on Tuesday, September 21st, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register, so go to morethanmoneyradio.com.
0: Terrific, we look forward to seeing you then on behalf of Faisal and myself, Dave. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money. We look forward to chatting with you next week.